Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Views expressed by participants are personal. Founded in 1987 by Denise and Alan Jones, the Jones & Jones Group has served many sides of the creative world for Afro-Caribbean and multicultural creators. And at the head of this is today's guest, Jesse Jones. Born in Sudbury and raised in Toronto, Jesse studied marketing and communications at the University of Ottawa. Being in the nation's capital presented a coincidence that Jesse parlayed into an opportunity that would arguably help launch his career. Working at the campus radio station allowed him to apply for press credentials when the Juno Awards were in town. While at the Junos, he networked his way into a sales and marketing job with Hot 89.9, which at the time was a new Ottawa FM radio station focused on hip-hop, R&B, and popular music. From there, Jesse moved into marketing and PR roles with Sony BMG Canada, Youthography, and the Timex Group. And if you're a fan of reality TV and ET Canada, you're probably asking yourself, is it that Jesse Jones? Some of you might already know Jesse as the season one host of The Bachelor in Paradise Canada and ET Canada's Black History special, Forward, celebrating the future of black entertainment in Canada. Jesse Jones stops by to chat about his career in the boardroom and his work in front of the camera. I got to take you back to my parents. It's a family business. Um, Started with my parents who moved here to Canada from Jamaica in the late 80s. And Jones & Jones was actually started uh, as a means to connect those from Afro-Caribbean nations um, uh, to what they remembered from back home. Right. Um, my parents, um, I was born in actually Sudbury, Ontario. So that's where my parents first settled up north in Ontario. And, um, you know, you got a Jamaican couple <laughs> moving to start their life in Canada in Sudbury, Ontario, one of the coldest places. But the desire after seeing things in the GTA um, and seeing things up north was to have some representation for people who look like them and came from places like them who are now settled here in Canada. So the business started by creating experiences for those people. Um, You know, my parents met in the theater back home. So not only were they really stimulated by the business side and, and, and the ideals of production and creating experiences, but they were also artists um, you know, and trained artists uh, in and of themselves. So Jones and Jones has always fused those, those two spaces. Um, they started pr- producing uh, theater in, in Toronto, actually. So would make the trek from up north um, to, to downtown Toronto, uh, creating um, plays and theater um, in, in, in Afro-Caribbean culture. That's very big, right? Uh, theatrical uh, performance. And so, uh, that was how Jones and Jones first started. And what happened was these crowds were coming out to this, you know, Afro-Caribbean theater that, and, and people were going, wait, like what's going on? There's a lot of people coming to these and they, and, and that, that would evolve later into concert production music, um, you know, and, 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 and the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so what happened was um, you'd have, uh, everyone from political parties to organizations and companies saying, you seem to be uh, creating something that is bringing 
uh, Black communities together, uh, we'd like to partner with you. We'd like to see how we can, um, you know, work with you in order to speak to these audiences authentically, right? And so that is what really birthed the whole marketing side of Jones and Jones because it started with being naturally able to connect to these audiences with authenticity, and then you know becomes the conduit or the connection point between brands. Um, between institutions to help them better understand the community they're a part of. So fast forward to now, you know, my mother sadly passed away from brain cancer in December 2020. Um, but for, you know, well over 30 years, Jones and Jones has been that connection point to Black and, and multicultural and diverse communities in this country. And so, um, you know, as, as she um, got ill, you know, I had uh, stepped into, um, you know, kind of grabbing the reins and, and making sure that that this continues to do the work that it does, which is be that conduit between culture in Canada and helping organizations and institutions understand that culture and activate within it in a way that makes sense. Um, you saw what 2020 did, right? 2020 kind of turned the world on its head for many, many reasons. We entered into a pandemic, but we also started to, you know, see each other a little bit differently. Jones and Jones was well positioned at that time to be that connection point for organizations who quickly needed to say, yeah, you know, um, we might not have been recognizing what's going on around us before. But we need to get up to speed. And, and so, you know, that's the role we play, you know, in boardrooms and, in, 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 um, you know, places across the country. We help them understand people and reach them where they are. Jesse, what would be the best way to describe what your parents did in the entertainment industry? Would they be producers? I mean, it sounds like they started off as would it, because they started off in theater. Would it be fair to say that they were initially thespians that eventually grew into the business side of it where they playwrights like how would you classify I, that yeah it's it's a, it's a it's a great question i would say that um my parents i would define them as creators um you know my grandparents were always organizing things um we have a big um you know education side to our family my my grandfather was principal. My grandmother was teacher at the school my mom attended back home. Um, but they were also always organizing things within the community. And I think, you know, so my parents seeing that growing up, um, just like I've seen that growing up, has, has really defined how I look at things. You know what's interesting is how we define ourselves, right? So my parents were creators, they were dreamers, and then they were able to see the multiple sides that exist within things, right? I don't think we're one thing. I, I think we're raised to be taught that we need to be one thing, but quite frankly, we're made up of many layers. And what I am so grateful for growing up is that I was able to see my parents operating their layers, producer, creator, business leader, entrepreneur, right? Um, winner, failure. Like I've seen it all. We're, we're a mix of all of those things. And so 
Um, but if I had to choose one word, I'd say creator because uh, creators because I believe that um, they were able to dream up ideas and and make them happen. And you know, my mother was just um, honored with a lifetime achievement from the Juno Awards for uh, her contribution and, and Jones and Jones's contribution to uh, you know representation of of black entertainment black music in this country and, and and what the business and what she has done for that and i just you know i i'm i'm in awe of that uh because you don't get there without first having the idea and the dream to put into motion and i saw that growing up all the time i saw ideas come out and i saw action to develop them and I think that's like the greatest gift, you know, you can you can give someone is just showing them that things are possible. And so, you know, as we as we continue the journey with with, um, you know, with Jones and Jones group, we're in boardrooms every single day, uh, virtually more so now. <laughs> right. But yep. we're we're ha we're having conversations that are shifting how brands are dealing with the culture around them. And the only the, the the fact that I'm now in that position to architect and guide the way we see each other, that's because two people came from Jamaica to Sudbury, Ontario and had a dream. Right. So it's a beautiful thing to be able to take this journey another generation. And it's my hope that, you know. I think that's what we all should be doing is thinking about how are we helping that next wave carry this torch, whatever it is. Right. I think that's what our, our one part of our purpose here is to just each one teach one. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited and, and blessed to be carrying this, this torch and this mission forward. So you mentioned that you were born in Sudbury and your parents emigrated from Jamaica to there. So why did they pick Sudbury of all places? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, you don't think naturally that was the number one spot on uh, the radar for people leaving Jamaica, <laughs> coming to Canada, well, Sudbury, just, Ontario. Yeah. I mean, new, new Canadians in general seem to move towards the bigger cities. Oh, for sure. For sure. So we had um, my, my parents had a connection and, and family in the, in the Toronto area had visited before my mother actually attended Windsor University. So she was very familiar with Ontario. When they finally moved here though, um, you know, to start a life, uh, my father was in pharmaceuticals um, and his territory, his sales territory was uh, Sudbury, Timmins, Capus Casing. <laughs> so, uh, okay. uh, so, so basically that's like why. Northeastern Ontario-ish yeah, James right. Bay. Yeah, yeah, up yep. up north, right? So so traveling and and um and in that that space, and so uh that's what uh that's what led them to to Sudbury, and that's where I was born, and and my brother uh, were both born there. But we moved to Toronto very quickly. Probably I was five when we moved to Toronto. But you know, I think having that, I'll always be um, grateful for having that time in Sudbury. Um, some some of the most defining things uh, I, I think in my life to date happened there. Um, one uh, that I'll that I'll talk to you about was my first skating trip. Uh, it was a school trip, and I was a little kid, and my mother was there on the school trip, 
And this is my first time on skates, very eager to, to do it, very eager to kind of make it around the ice. I didn't know how to skate at the time. Not a lot of kids did. We were learning. But my first journey was um, was a rough one. So I got on the ice and I just, I fell immediately. And then um, I tried to get up again and I fell. I fell so many times that day that um, I, I, I threw up. So I'm in the oh, change geez. room now. Yeah, I'm in the change room now, kind of. Uh, a little defeated and um and mom is like you know how are you feeling do you do you want to go and um and and uh, you know I said I I didn't and she said well listen you know we're here um you 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 can you can do this you know take your time and uh I went back out on that ice and found my way around <laughs> you know I held on to the side a little bit uh, I, I, I got, you know, a, a few, uh, glides there on the ice and, and did my thing. I fell a couple more times, but I made it around. And that was, I think probably one of the most defining moments for me, you know, because it just, that, that explains the relationship that I had with my mom. You know, she was very much, um, supportive, very much would tell you anything is possible. Um, but she'd give you room to, to do your thing and to find the learnings in the experience. And uh, I'm always grateful for that. Um, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that, um, that I'll just always hold dear. You know, I, I, I take that with me, um, all the time. We fall a lot. Um, you know, any, any of us have dreams, right? Aspirations, goals, uh, for sure. We do at some point in our lives though, like, like, I feel like society does a really good job of knocking those out of you. They're too big. They're too lofty. I had the, my brother and I were at the, at, at my mother's um, bedside as she passed away. And I can tell you, man, like, you know, to be in that moment, it's something you can't explain, but I feel like it was a gift because it showed me, you know, the full circle of life. And so as you care for someone in end of days, you start to realize what matters. And so I, I hold on to those experiences like the skating trip because we're going to keep falling, but we have one goal on this ride. And I feel like we deserve to realize the things we want to do the things we dream. If my mother always told me too, if the dream is in your head and the idea is in your head, it's yours to see lived out. You've been gifted the idea. The only thing now is for you to take it further. And so, you know, as I talk to you about kind of the history coming up and, and what Jones and Jones means to this country, to um, a community of people and generations of people, you know, it, it also means, you know, putting dream into action and uh, something I believe we all are, uh, are meant to see and feel in our lives. So how do you get past that little voice in your head that everyone's got just sitting there saying, Oh, it's a dream pass on it. Just that bit of self doubt that you've got to get past. Like, how do you overcome that? I think you have to tune out the noise, Vic. 
Can I say Vic? Is that okay? Oh, by all means, go for it. Yeah. Victor, I feel like we're, you know. <laughs> no, it's all I should, good. Shouldn't be going to Vic before I ask you, right? It's like our first no, time chatting please, here, and I feel please. all comfortable. I appreciate the way you're you're carrying this conversation, man. It's very, very dope. How do you get past the noise? Another gift. I'll keep talking about family because it's important to me. I've always felt confirmed at home first. Growing up as a kid, um, you know, I grew up in a very culturally rich home, very proud home, right? Um, it was very much about preparing us for the world we were going to go out to face. But I never felt like I wasn't confirmed at home first. I think that was also a gift because uh, I didn't need to see confirmation in others. Yeah, you need you need affirmation, and sure, when you're trying to get things happening your fate is in other people but if i didn't get the right answer from someone it didn't it disappointed me but it never put me to bed you know what i mean and i, I think that that's the i think that's the thing we have to get over social media is built on affirmation and confirmation from people we don't know Yes. So, How many times so, have you been on Instagram and you've seen someone and you'd be like, look at all the traveling you're doing. Do you have a day job? And then you look at yourself right. and go, well, how can I get to that level? I, I can't see that unless I quit my job to have the time to do that. But if I quit my job, I don't have the money to do that. And 100% that gets into your head pretty quickly. 100%. But you know what? None of us know each other's story. We That's know as we know aspects of the story. We know the highlight reel right? Social media is built around highlight reel because it's, you know, it's built around making you stay engaged. But what also happens here is if you're only getting one sliver of the story, you're also missing out on the hills and valley, right? You're also missing out on context. That's another thing that I think is missing right now um, is context, nuance, right? What is in behind what I'm seeing here? Sure, I'm seeing the travel and I'm seeing the trips. What did this person do to get there, right? What did they give up? What have they gone through? These are not the things that social media shows you. So for me, back to your question about how do you get by that voice, I think you just have to um, know what's real, okay? If you sit and watch highlight reels of people's lives every day, that's what is going to be real for you. We need more context. We need to understand and speak to more people and understand the journey. That's why I think this podcast is really good because you're unpacking journeys. And it's from different people, different walks of life, different experiences. But if I take in a multitude of info from different sources and different people, I'm going to kind of hear some things that jive for me and some things that don't, but I'm still going to hear them. And then I'm going to be able to kind of figure out, all right, I like a little of that. Let me pull a little from that. And I like a little from this. And I think we need more of that because the voice in your head that's saying, hey, that idea you have, um, yeah, it's too crazy. Uh, that's just like doubt. If, if something lights you up, I think that's how you have to lead. If it keeps coming up in your head and it keeps coming up in your thought and you, you would do it for free, that's the other thing too. Like, I think it's hard to chase things for money because money to me, the older I get, 
the more I realize is it's actually not the money, it's the relationships and the contacts that will bring you to places of opportunity. Right? That's the, that's the, that is the um, currency, how you treat people, how, you, what your name brings in rooms you're not in. <laughs> yeah, and you I agree only with get that. to that level of you only get to that level of currency by the energy you transfer every day. I mean, we might be getting deep here, but this is what I believe. Oh no, it's all good. It's all good. And thank you for the kind words on the podcast. Uh, I'm trying to. My whole format has been like a little bit of James Lipton, a little <laughs> bit of gentrified Howard Stern, and a bit of Kevin Smith mixed together because I thought I yeah, think man. they're some of the best storytellers out there. I know you were only five or six at the time, but when you moved from Sudbury to Toronto, were you old enough to encounter any sort of culture shock from moving to a smaller town? I wouldn't say a smaller town, but a smaller city to one of the biggest cities in North America, or did that just go right over your head because you were so young back then? It's a great, great question. I have always been in rooms where the, I wasn't the majority. We started to see more people like us, obviously, when we moved to um, we moved to Scarborough uh, in, yeah, I guess that would be like the, um, you know, the 80s. And it was just up and coming and young families were moving there. And, you know, you start to see a lot more diversity. Um, I think for me, I've always said that it was a gift. I was, I was grateful for growing up in Sudbury in my early days because I think it it set a tone for me I had the cultural upbringing at home but then when I went to school I was not in the majority in terms of my background and so that didn't matter I was just existing as a as a young person in in class I was getting involved in all of the things that were my Canadian experiences to be involved in I was born here you know, um, but what that Sudbury upbringing did for me is it prepared me for what Canada was going to be like ultimately, which is you're going to move around in rooms where many of the people there and the majority of them look different from you. And I, so that's why I think it was like a real gift that I had that balance of like this cultural home upbringing, my early days in Sudbury, then transferring to like Toronto, which is now giving you that cultural kind of influx. Like it, it, it was all a beautiful mix that that allowed me to navigate Canada as a you know a young person, young adult into adulthood, um, prepared me for how to deal with different types of people and different rooms and different you know, and cultures, right? Um, to the point now where, where, you know, every day, whether it's through, you know, Jones and Jones from an agency perspective or me and my personal pursuits, uniting culture and bringing it together while, while standing up for and representing where I come from is my desire. Cause we're not going to get anywhere, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a country, if we don't see, hear and understand each other. Right. And so um, I'm, re I'm really grateful for the journey and, and for where I came from, because it helped me see different sides of this province and this country to now be in a position where I can continue to like bring those worlds together. I think it's a beautiful thing. 
something you've got in common with some of my recent guests. Literally, you are the third person out of the last four episodes to have uh, started working at The Gap. That was maybe their, <laughs> maybe their first or second part-time job. So yes. I know you've also had a paper out, and I want to talk about that because we kind of half-jokingly say that was that's usually someone's first job in media. But yeah. <laughs> t- tell me, okay, but tell me first what attracted you to The Gap because <clears throat> I'm starting to, and every... Every guest I've had that's worked at The Gap or they started at Old Navy and were promoted to The Gap, which I didn't right. even know was a thing, they yeah. have waxed poetically about their time there and what it prepared them for. So what was your experience like working for The Gap? And I think that's just such a unique um, uh, aspect of this. I actually was looking up at the past guest as I was preparing for the conversation that I saw that there was other reference to the gap. I was like, I hope we get to talk about it because I have my own version of my story too. Listen, I am forever grateful for that. Gap Gap was the brand that when I was in, I think this was high school. So this was like early high school. This was my first real gig. Gap was the brand. Everyone wanted the hoodie. Yes, the, the hoodie. hoodie, right? It was the thing. It was a, pr- and I, I went to a Catholic school, so we had uniform, but like, I was like very preppy, you know, and how <laughs> yep. I'd, I'd rock my, my, my look and stuff. So I liked Gap, like they spoke to, you know, what I was about, you know, if we had days where we could like, you know, uh, come in non-uniform, like I'd come in and Gap khakis and that, that whole vibe was a thing where, when I was growing up. So I was like, oh, it'd be cool to work here. And I went and applied. And, you know, just the learnings I got there, understanding retail, understanding um, positioning of a brand, uh, seeing how they, um, you know, folded clothes, set up clothes, clothes tills, um, back room versus, you know, out in the front of the store, product development like all of these things i was seeing early uh and and then i also was witness to the pop culture effect that that the gap was having right um you know and i think it 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 also upped my status at my school right like (laughs) you know (laughs) i was like it was yeah it was like people were like oh he works at the mall over at gap and they'd be in the mall right people be this is the other thing too it's like a lot of kids would like be at the mall, you know, hanging out, but I was there on shift. I was working. Right. And that's kind of like how I was. Right. I, I love to hang out and have fun too, but I was like, I want to go work there. I want to be on the inside. I want to have, you know, learnings and I want to be the brand that I'm loving and, you know, really incorporated. So I learned a lot from there. I always used to um, love sales um because i was able to just connect with people over what they were looking for and then understand kind of what they needed get their vibe and then and then and then be able to suggest things otherwise right so i i I learned about sales from the gap learned about people and being able to uh identify their needs fairly quickly Right. Because if someone walks in, you have to to engage with them. You got to make them feel comfortable. Not too pushy. I was never too, too pushy. I was more about, you know, I'm here for you when you need me um, and letting people know uh, information that would add to their experience. Um, greeting was always a fun part for me too. like greeting at the front, uh, setting the tone for what people, you know, these are just things that I didn't 
think about as at, at that age, but I was naturally just doing them because that's how I, you know, that's what I I wanted to do, what I wanted to bring to the gig. And quite frankly, it's probably based on my experiences coming up and seeing Jones and Jones, right? I saw production. I saw how people were welcomed into a space. I saw how people were um, uh, entertained and made to feel comfortable, right? So I, was, I think I was naturally just kind of pulling on these, these innate things that I had experienced through osmosis growing up around my parents and the, the, the things that were being created. And so I'll always have positive um, you know, thoughts around the gap. They really helped me develop my first corporate experience and just seeing how things flowed from there. So I have a soft spot for that brand. The sales aspect of it. Did you gravitate towards that because you were already a naturally competitive person or did that, uh, did that role make you realize that you're a competitive person? Cause I know in retail, they'll, they're still throwing some sort of quota on the board and they're ranking the different employees going, Hey, they sold this much merchandise today or this shift versus this person and so forth. Like how did that experience shape you? Love this question because I've never been one who deals well with um, being told to push more sale. I've always been one who would rather your experience, if you came into the store and I was able to have some time with you and you didn't buy anything, but we had an exchange that was positive um, and set, set you in a good space, I was good with that. And I was still you know, leading in sales back then as a, as a high school kid, because that was my approach. It's always been my approach to business development, even to this day. You know, I will have conversations, go out for a dinner because I'm interested in, in, in this person. Can we do opportunities together? Can we build together for sure? But what are you about? Where is your head? What are you thinking about? What do we vibe on a level? Because if we vibe on a level, we're going to be able to do a lot more things together. And so if we go back to the gap. For me, it was it was not a pushy sale. Um, yet it got me the results I wanted because um, I was able to create a relationship with people. You might have come in. And you didn't do any business with me, but you come back again and be like, hey, you know, I'm ready now. And I think that's that was just me understanding who I was. I never did well um, in environments where they were more about the sale than they were about the service. That's how I approach all my initiatives, anything I'm doing private, you know, like personally with with me as Jesse or me is Jesse and Jones and Jones and clients. It's I'm always dealing from a place of service. Um, it's a big energy difference between what you get working with Jones and Jones and, and myself versus, you know, other places. I legitimately make sure that our teams come from that place when we're working together. So the social side of business seemed to really attract you from your time at Gap. Does this kind of explain why you went into uh, study, why you decided to study marketing and communications at the University of Ottawa? One hundred percent, and that's another defining, uh, you know, time for me was, uh, you know, my time spent over at Ottawa U. Uh, I continue to work with the 
the alumni team there as well, um, you know, as it relates to engaging prospective uh, students and I'm going back and helping, you know, with alumni uh, weekends and, and things like that. It's um, it was a really defining point in my life, leaving Toronto, big city, going to a, uh, a, a, a big city as well, not big like Toronto, but it had it, its culture and it had um, its appeal. I was actually supposed to be attending the University of Waterloo and then, um, you know, late, I was already accepted and was going to go there. And then um, I, I was going to play basketball there as well. I, I played throughout high school and got recruited. And then I got a um, some interest from Ottawa U and started to look into that uh, and then went there and was like, you know what, this, this could be interesting. And then I saw the communications, um, program and was really attracted to it. And then, you know, at the time you could get, uh, this is, I'm, I'm sure it's changed now, but that was when you could start to get, you know, bursaries and things there. If you were a student athlete and, you know, so the whole thing was really became really attractive to me. And, I just went with the gut feeling of like, I think this Ottawa thing is going to be a good look. And it ended up being just a really amazing experience being in a city that is very government uh, based, having that, that communications background um, just in general, like from, you know, the ground up understanding, you know, what that looks like on, you know, multiple platforms, understanding media, my bet my my favorite class of of my whole time at Ottawa U was pop culture and the way we would talk about and analyze media messages. All the Marshall McLuhan stuff. Oh come on, man! Like I couldn't get enough of that class because uh, Peter Hodgins. Shouts out to Peter Hodgins if he I, I don't know if he'll ever hear this, but I want to give him a lot of props because he gave his students in his class a lot of room to explore what was happening real time around us come into class and formulate our thinking around it and it really set a tone for me in terms of how i engage with me how i distill it how i step back from it so really positive experience when i think back to my time at, at ottawa u and that communications program in particular because whether you're going into journalism or not it will shape you in terms of how you look at the landscape of any area you're going into and what role you play within it. Um, so I got a big up out of you for sure. Well, it also launched your entertainment career, we could say, because you started, yeah. you started off as a, a host at the campus radio station. So what was your show about? Yeah, the show was called What's the Deal? And it was a show that a good friend of mine, uh, Scott Bride, and I uh, co-hosted. And we came up with the concept because we just wanted to know, you know, like, what's the deal, you know, on a range of topics. It was a uh, weekly show. We would have a DJ, um, Trevor Mason, who who is still in Ottawa doing um, incredible experiences and events out there. Um, we, we had a, a mix DJ, so we'd always have like, you know, a portion of the show where we're just playing like really good music, old school, new school, funk, jazz, like hip hop, like we just blend everything. But then we'd have guests on the show 
who we just chat with on hot topics. Um, we'd also like interview up and coming artists, um, you know, people who were doing things in the space uh, in, in Ottawa. So yeah, it was kind of like a talk show and then, you know, a music show. Um, and we, we chat about, you know, culture and arts uh, going on in, in the city. And so, yeah, that, that show was cool because, you know, I learned about producing radio and, and um, getting the guests together. And we were able to bring in high school interns and have them participate. And um, you just, you, you really, again, the communications background, right? It just made sense. And then um, I think it was my last year at Ottawa U, the Juno Awards were in Ottawa. And this was right around the time when Hot 89.9 FM, which is a station out there right now, uh, was coming into the market. They hadn't been there. This was the first time you were going to get a station of this kind, pop culture, you know, playing music that you typically hear on a lot of Toronto stations, right? But so this was exciting. And I remember the, the Junos were coming in. I submitted our show for access to all the media, like accreditation. I was like, you know, yeah, we're, we're media. I want to be in there and I want to be interviewing and, and getting access. And sure enough, we put in the, the, uh, the uh, request and we got granted. So I'm, I'm rolling up as a student to the Juno Awards press access VIP events. Jesse, this is a perfect example of that saying <laughs> that the answer is always no, unless you ask for it. hundred percent, man. Like I think, I don't even think Scott was able to make it. So I ended up going alone. I'm a university student and I'm, I'm, I'm rolling up to all the VIP stuff. And uh, I got in to this event and someone told me that, oh, um, I got to give a shout out to Rob Mize, a uh, big, big radio uh, guy in, in Canada. And he was heading up Hot 89 at the time. And someone made mention, oh, that's Rob Mize. He's the, uh, you know, new uh, GM of the station and blah, blah. I beeline it over to him, introduce myself, say that, you know, I'm, uh, at the time I wanted, like, I was like, Hey, I want to get into marketing for the station or, or something on air. Maybe you know, I've got a, a show. It's called what's the deal elevator pitch. Right. And, uh, he's like, I think he was just kind of stunned. He's like, who is this kid? <laughs> and, um, and why are we, why are you telling me that I need to hire you? And then I think from, it was just, look, I said, maybe I can get a card or whatever. I think he gave me a card. I think he was just kind of shocked that I had the balls to walk up to him. And because he was around a lot of people, this was Juno's, right? It's a big deal in music. And uh, I ended up getting a position over there um, in, in the sales marketing, um, uh, you know, department and um, spent some time there, uh, you know, cutting my teeth and understanding radio on another level, right? Because now I went from campus to now this is, this is prime time and you're seeing the inner workings of it. And so I think... I think we are, life is a series of experiences, right? Nothing stays the same for like forever. And I think we have to be wired to pivot. I've always been comfortable with like understanding when it's time to make a leap or like try something different to take me to the next thing. And I think I've always seen that just by growing up in an entrepreneurial family. If you're not comfortable pivoting, you're dead. Yes. Right. Yes. And so we've seen that in the past few years. 
Like it, I and and that <laughs> I almost see it as a gift because I think I was I was I don't think you can ever be prepared for a pandemic. But you know, I I was ready for a pivot because I've been pivoting all my life, and I don't mean pivoting meaning pivot from like completely away from what you 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 would be. No, I just mean change, right? Adapting. You might you might not be you you. It's not like you're going in a different direction. You're just making a bit of a a, a right turn here and going. You know, like how Waze tells you sometimes, right? Yep. This is, right? Waze is still going to the same destination, Victor, but it's taking you right and then another right and then a left so that you get around stuff. So, yeah, man, that 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 decision to kind of go to the Junos are coming. I could have just been like, yeah, I want to go watch it. I was like, no, I'd like to get on the inside. I got a radio show here. And it's a credible show. I am media. So let me submit <laughs> and see if they will accept it. And they did. So now I'm like, okay, level two. It's like it's like video games. Yes, level that's a two. great analogy. Yes. Right? Now, now enter, now go to the media things, right? Oh my gosh. Do 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 do. Right. Like you're like, how do I do this? Where do I navigate? What go and present yourself? Okay. Uh who's Rob Mize? Okay, let me go talk to him, right? Uh, and then boom, 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 you end up at Hot 89 out of university for your first gig to pay you some dollars as a as a fresh kid out of school. Like you got to just be ready to pivot and you have to believe in what you're offering to the world. How does Sony BMG Canada tie into this? Like at what point were you interning there? Yeah, so I, I, I had to eventually um, come back to Toronto uh leaving ottawa uh, because the industry that i wanted to be in wasn't um in abundance there right so while i'm getting this great experience over at, over at the radio station at hot um i need to come back to toronto and cut my teeth and 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 build myself there um it's the biggest market in the country and a lot runs through it and that was my home so i ended up relocating back and um, submitting and getting an internship uh, at at Sony BMG. Ivan Barry, one of the most influential uh, people in uh, black music here in uh, in Canada, um, hip hop specifically. Um, he was heading up the A and R department at the time, and um, and uh, my mother and him had known each other for many, many years. And, and I was asked to submit um, my resume for potential internships. And so I went in and interviewed and uh, eventually got a gig there. And I started out as an intern. So I literally went in and said, I'll do anything. Because at that time, coming up in, 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 uh, at that time, in an industry wanting to break into marketing i knew that i wanted to get into like marketing and the entertainment industry and just kind of unite all of the things that i've been passionate about right and to work at a record label was like like that was a really good gig in the worlds i wanted to get into so you know to be able to start there as an intern i said i'd do anything 
And a lot of the work that I was doing at the time was packing boxes of CDs, reorganizing, you know, um, spaces, going on coffee runs, uh, taking notes and meetings. I would cover reception. That was the job I wanted to do most. When the receptionist was leaving on break, I wanted to cover reception and I would let everybody know that all my people I was reporting to, I would say, if you can ever get me there, I wanted to get there. Why? Because you see everyone. Yes. Like you see, I completely agree. It's probably one of the best networking opera, passive networking opportunities anyone could ask for. Listen, you're bang on with that, man. Like bullseye. You see everyone. You see the president. You see everyone down to, you know, cleaning crew, whoever. But you also see all of the talent that was rolling through. Wyclef Jean, right? Chris Brown. Like whoever was coming into town, uh, you saw them. And they were walking past you. And sometimes people would just, you know, start to... um acknowledge you right and and you know and that that pleasant smile that hey how you doing the way i would conduct myself up at front desk was like you know people they don't think about roles at gigs okay they don't think about roles the receptionist role is like it is the most important role i think because this person sees everything knows everything and keeps it all moving they're the first touch point when someone comes into the business so when i went up there i was like i took it super seriously right always smiling being pleasant hey how you doing welcome to sony bmg thanks for coming in how can i help you like it also gives you the the list of who everybody is in the company right yes that's true so you yes. know who everyone is you know the names of all the people in the department you might want to work in like there was a lot of information that was there for me i could have not asked for that right i'm always looking for like how can i access more information how can i connect more and that was a gig there and then and then um you know, I just, I do whatever, but I kept asking to get into meetings. And Nicole Chrysostom Murray, ironically enough, we work together now on the Jones and Jones side. So full circle and her daughter interns for me. Oh, but damn, Nicole, look at that. Yeah, Nicole Chrysostom Murray was the first person who said, yeah, you know what? Why don't you come into these meetings and start taking notes? That was the game changer because then I kind of moved into more coordinator role and that set me up. For, you know, I was in there as an intern suggesting things, the audacity, right? You know, I'm taking notes, right? I, she didn't tell me I could talk. She said, come in and take notes. But like I got in and a few times as we're talking about marketing plans and ideas, I'm like, hey, you know, what if the street team did this and they went to these places? Because a lot of people hang out there, blah, blah, blah. And I just take a chance and then it, it would land and like, I'd be like, whew, okay, you know, I'm not getting fired today. But, you know, it's just, it's access. It's you have to ask for what you want. You gotta like try to just ask. If you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. You know, so so I got into those meetings. I'm I'm and now I'm getting experience now. I'm now up from packing boxes. Now we're we're making suggestions. And then that that turned into more of a coordinator role, which is the reason I was able to get into my first marketing agency experience at youthography. And that was another shift in the career trajectory because now you know i'm in i'm in 
I'm in an agency that speaks to youth marketing and is one like probably the only agency that is doing that at that time. So they're connecting with brands on another level. This is like when sampling and grassroots marketing was like just coming in. And I was able to go there and and with my experience from Sony BMG and my Jones and Jones innate experiences, talk my way into getting a coordinator role with them. And I'm forever grateful for that because this agency was doing research and like focus groups with teens and it was dynamic and it was raw and they were creating marketing plans out of that. And it was, it was really interesting for me and stimulating for me and and I, I got to, you know, I, I, I'm forever grateful because I literally, I think I went in there and sold them on hiring a guy without that type of experience, but with the raw capability. And I'm grateful for, for that. Jeff Roach, Rick Trombley, Max Valiquet, um, you know, Rayla Gutman, uh, Naomi Olson. Christina Bedame Verderman, those people were my first kind of uh, managers. John Price, Kevin Goodman, these people, you know, really shaped me um, in my early 20s as I was like, you know, they, that was such a fundamental experience and just such a, I'm so grateful for it because it really did help me cut my teeth and learn about agency, learn about marketing and, 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 and brands and clients and just everything. So, like I said, you got to know when it's time to like make a move if you want to keep progressing. Okay. So, youthography, how did that job find you or how did you find that job? Because, based on everything you've said about Sony BMG, it seemed like you were basically in the company you wanted to be at and you were clearly growing from there. Like you said, you started by packing boxes and now all of a sudden you were in meetings taking notes and you'd moved your way into a coordinator role. So what was so enticing about youthography that it made you reconsider your time at Sony BMG? There was an opportunity that came about for a role that, for a brand actually. So I was looking for uh, jobs at the time and, and and I think, I, what was it? It was Fido Mobile, I guess it was at the time. So I think this was Bell. This was with Bell. And it was a job to be a, it was, it was a coordinator role, but you'd be overseeing this brand. And they wanted someone who knew about music, art, culture, entertainment, who could bring that to the role. I apply for that gig because it brings together all my worlds, right? I end up interviewing and at the last, I'm, I'm about to get the gig and apparently um, they, they go internally um, rather than bringing someone in externally. But they tell me, we work with an agency who I think you need to meet. The agency's ethography. I go in there and I say, listen, you know, you guys know what the scenario is. Client wanted to hire me. They are going internally. But you guys got to hire me because actually this is probably where I'm meant to be. And that's how it all came about. From there, you moved on to the Timex group. And I didn't even realize that the Timex group had these brands that you were working on under their umbrella. Like they own them. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. We've got Nautica. Echoes in there as well. Uh, is it TX? The other one? Yeah, yeah, that was an in-house brand. It was like a like a, a very high-end brand for them at, at the time, yeah. 
And you were handling PR for them. So how did that role come about? And what did your job there entail? Again, that just, you know, that opportunity, um, you know, came uh, into my periphery and they were looking for someone again, like it was, they were looking for someone who understood lifestyle culture. And, um, you know, again, these elements that I had always been working in, you know, the arts, the entertainment, the, you know, building together PR and marketing and be able to kind of create experiences around that and, 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 and get the brand attention at the same time. And so they were looking for a brand management position that leveraged a lot of media and a lot of PR. These are all experiences and worlds I was able to amass, like, you know, through my journey to that point. So I uh, I made the the leap and and suggested myself for um, put my name in the hat for for that gig and ended up getting it. And you know I was sad to leave the ethnography scenario, but I also knew that I wanted to grow and and get that brand side experience. Um, and yeah, I was able to uh, get in there and um, and and really cut my teeth on learning like budgeting and um product development and working with retailers like the bay and you know target at the time and just all these major retailers that you have to sell through product to year in advance so that like this is how things were back then right things are changing now because you now have got online and you know the retail space and how people buy is is, is changing every single day but you know i was able to, to get in and, and learn a lot of these things. And um, in my time there, product selection, going to market meetings in New York and around the world where you're seeing product and you're able to pick and select your assortment that's gonna be for this specific retailer versus this one. Like it was, it was a lot of the learning I would never have gotten if I didn't take that job on. And it allowed me to think and, and see the, the marketing, um, space from a different level um seeing all the different parts that play a role why you have to be in touch and very intimate with sales um and 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 how they move and how the planning process works so again really grateful for for that time because it 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 set me up for everything i'm doing today right uh, when you go back into business for yourself um, and you take the learnings you, you've, you've gotten along the way. Uh, it's allowed me to, to navigate the world um, in a different way. Had I not had those experiences, I, I, I don't think I would have, um, you know, been able to, to be sensitive to certain scenarios as I, as I navigate where I'm going now. So speaking of past learnings to, uh, to assist you with <clears throat> your, your role at the Timex Group, did you find yourself reaching back to your time at Gap, even for like small things going, oh, okay, you know what? This worked when I was working the retail floor at Gap. Maybe I should be keeping it in mind when I'm dealing with retailers now. And we're talking about maybe how they're going to present a Timex brand or product on their sales floor. Yeah, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, I was, you know, I was in a brand manager role there. So there's only so many things I was able to like influence in terms of, um, you know, how the retailer does what they do. But yes, for sure. I, that's just one of the 
see, going through the journey sometimes, I would wonder, am I on the right track? But then it's only when you're looking back, you're like, wow, like that really did connect to this and that connected to this. And I've always been about following like what I'm passionate about when I make choices. So is this like in the realm of my passions and interests? If so, yes. Will it, you know, like I told you about the whole, you know, um, when you're on ways, sometimes you're going to the same place, but sometimes it's going to take you on a turn this way and that way. Um, but eventually the destination is the same, going in the same area. And so, yeah, I, I think um, definitely, you know, being in the role at, at Timex Group and, and working with the big retailers, yes, of course, you pull on that, 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 um, you know, historical information of the time at the gap. And, and just even when I would roll into or walk into um, retailers, I would be con conscious of who's greeting me and how. And um, did you ever go undercover when you did that? Or did they? Yeah, you always, you always, okay, you always, always go shop. undercover. Yeah, you, you'd always, yeah, not always, but like I'd always just walk in. No what? It's not like everyone knew that I was from Timex and overseeing the Nautica brand and the Echo brand. And like, you know, it's not like everyone would know that on ship. Some people would recognize me, but other times I would just walk and see how things are being kept and all of that. Yeah. To this day, to this day, Victor, I walk malls just to get a temperature check on what people are rocking, like what they're wearing and like just how kids are interacting with stores. I just, I just go, I shop too. Right. But like, I'll just go in and like, just get a sense of like what's going on in culture right now. Cause you can always get a good sense from going to the mall and seeing how like, you know, moms and daughters are shopping, like what, what's happening. I'm, I'm very stimulated by that. I think when you do that every once in a while, you, you really do get a sense of like what's going on and how, how culture is moving by it. Malls are a great place to do that. So Jesse, people listening to this right now are probably going, Jesse Jones, is that that Jesse Jones from television? Because <laughs> you've you've had a couple of uh, big forays into broadcast. So let's start first with season one of The Bachelor in Paradise. How did that hosting role come about? Oh, man, Bachelor in Paradise is crazy. So my, my mother passes away in December 2020, but in November of 2020, uh, I did a, 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 I had a small spot on a show called um, Employable Me. And I was, um, the show is about uh, employing people uh, who um, identify as uh, they have a disability and the show is about um, finding them jobs in everyday uh, companies and corporations and, 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 you know, just showcasing the companies that are doing this and, and the learnings they're all having. And um, it's a beautiful show and uh, producer friend of mine was on it and he said, you know what, uh, Jesse, I think it'd be great to have you on as one of the kind of mentors for this, um, this, this episode in, in one of the series, I was like, yeah, this is cool. And, and they also our our head office, uh, Jones and Jones is a storefront space in downtown Brampton. And we use the space, uh, for shoots at different times. So sometimes people will come in and they'll, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a canvas that they can recreate and, and, and use for shoots. And so they shot, they also came to shoot some of this at our space on the team. 
of production for the show was um, one of the who later I found out was uh, part of a production company that was bringing, um, you know, Paradise into Canada. And so after this Employable Me shoot's done, he and I are just vibing. We're just connecting. And I said, hey, you know, I've, I've played in this world before. I know you guys, if you ever need the space and, uh, you know, for something else, let me know. Uh, here's my contact. I'll connect with you over on LinkedIn as well. Um, but yeah, like any, you know, it, let's just stay in touch. You know, I've played in this TV world as well. I've got some, you know, concepts and ideas and um, have also been, you know, camera side as well. And he's like, yeah, we should definitely keep in touch. And so we did. I end up coming back from uh, laying our mother to rest in Jamaica. I'm on two week quarantine because that's what you had to do at the time. This is early pandemic. And I get an email um, saying, hey, Jesse, you know, we met on the uh, the shoot. I, I just was looking on your LinkedIn and it says you're a connector of worlds. And, you know, we're looking for someone who could um, connect us to potential host opportunities for um this upcoming show we've got i I'll, I'll have to send you an nda uh, before i can talk about it but you know wondered if you knew any people you could recommend and i said yeah you know i know a ton of people in this industry um who are you know never been on um you know the major shows so they would be fresh faces um can totally send the stuff over please send over the nda blah blah, blah. um but i also said Here's a link to a show called uh, The Drive. Uh, we got two seasons out of it. Um, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, The Drive is a concept that I created and we got two seasons on Global. And it's like coffee and cars with comedians, but, um, or like carpool karaoke, but not those. <laughs> it's like me picking regular everyday people up and on the way to dropping them off, we have a bit of conversation. And, um, the whole thing around it is that we don't necessarily need anybody in the car to be right or wrong. It's just like this free flow of dialogue as I'm dropping them off. And, you know, there's some laughter, there's some depth, there's like, you know, there's real people and real talk. Right. So I send him the link of that and I say, I'm not saying I'm the right person for this, but I'd love you guys to see it. You're a production company. So maybe that might be right for other things. They get back to me. He gets back to me, says, I just sent your link around to the team and we actually would love to audition you it's it's for it's for the show that's coming in first time in canada and um it's for the bachelor franchise and uh it's bachelor in paradise canada <laughs> i was like i'm like sorry excuse me come again and uh so that that's how that all kind of came to be it was this um organic uh meet in a completely separate area and then me throwing my name into the ring for something I actually didn't know what it was to then have interest. And it ends up in me hosting season one um, of a, a, a global <laughs> hit brand of TV show. And, um, and, and that, <laughs> that set the tone for a lot of the stuff that, you know, that I'm doing in that space right now, I ended up, you know, doing work with ET Canada um, because I was visible, you know, uh, and I got an opportunity and, and it, you know, I was able to do something with it. And I was very grateful 
to the whole team over at, at Bachelor in Paradise Canada to to come in and introduce a show to Canada. And, and I mean, look, you know, this came the marketing um, mass communications uh, program at Ottawa U, man, has been paying off, you know, in a it, number of different ways, right? But it was such a good, it was a next level, right? And I don't, I don't get that gig if I don't kind of throw my 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 uh, reel into the. I didn't even know why I did that. Um, it just, it's just like, why wouldn't you? Well, probably because you know? you've, you've got a history of putting your hand up and going, why not me? And so eventually yeah, as I you guess, grow within yeah. your career, the opportunity you're putting your hand up for is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then that's how you end up on television. So that, it just goes back to what you're saying. You might as well ask for it. What's the worst? They say no. Facts. And I think like, honestly, uh, um, why not me? Why not you? Right? Like, why not you? You asked a question earlier that really was, uh, I'm still thinking about it, is what do you think, like, how do people, how, what's that voice that comes in and says, like, not you, right? We're telling yeah. ourselves not you every day, no? Yes, we like, are. We're telling ourselves not you. And it's not, it's not anyone else. It's us going, not you. Not you. You don't deserve that. That to me is wild. I think the biggest gift we can give ourselves is why not you? Yes, you. Try. The worst that can happen is it is it doesn't happen. But you tried. Um, they put people in the Hall of Fame. They put people in the Baseball Hall of Fame. For hitting the ball three out of every 10 times they're at bat. That's the an best, interesting statistic. The best people in baseball, the best, the people that you hail and say they are, oh my goodness, what they've done with the game. They connect on the ball 30% of the time. If I got 30% in school, would I be hailed as the, the best ever? You see, the thing about baseball is to hit three times, you have to come up to bat with the mentality that you're going to connect after missing seven times. So it's like this incredible um, reflection of life where in life, though, we get told you got to be 10 out of 10, man. Like, you have to be 10 out of 10. Are you not 10 out of 10? You mean you made a mistake? What, you swung on that really hard, man. You, you didn't even get close to the ball. And this, this, this way that we position success, right? In school, you got to get 100%. Or if you don't get 100% in school, man, like, mm, I don't know if you're going to be a success at life. But then in sport, we get, you get into the Hall of Fame if you're like a 300 batsman so you know and i gotta give credit to tony tony robbins because I, I i picked up on this when i was listening to some tony robbins stuff is is this whole baseball analogy but i've run with it since since then because it's real it's all about mindset you're gonna miss seven times but you have to get up the eighth time to feel like you didn't miss seven times you gotta brush that off 
you have to brush that off. This 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 life thing, it's like a video game. You got to be prepared to come back to make it to the next level. Right? You might run out of, you know, a, a few opportunities here, but you can always restart the game and play again. And so that's kind of what I go with. It's like, yep, struck out on that one, but you know what? Uh there's another at bat somewhere. And when I get up to bat, I'll be ready. Damn, struck out again. All right. Cool. What happened? I saw a pitch I didn't I didn't know. But now I know it. So add that to the arsenal, come back up and be prepared. 3 times out of 10, you know? That's it's, you only have to connect on one. So why not me? Let me send my my uh my reel in here and like Sure, I might suggest uh, hosts and other people they like better, but maybe they'll like this. <laughs> and then I end up on a national TV show to to really take the opportunity to show my skills that I've known I had. It's just Canada and I didn't know. Now they know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. a dream. It, it feels dreamy, but it's really not if we just if that's how we approach every day. Got to believe in yourself. Well, you're auditioning for their attention. That's exactly the the country's attention. What one hundred percent? I'm in a I'm in a role now, where every day through either Jones and Jones or my personal pursuits, I am about uniting Canada. We're in a time right now where we're all in our different, you know, sections yelling across at each other, whether that's politically, culturally, right. There's, it's a very noisy time. My ultimate goal, beyond the business stuff, beyond the personal pursuits, is that we all start to recognize each other a bit more, and we all become more sensitive to each other, because the only way we move forward as a country and as communities is together. It's not going to happen if we are just in our corners yelling across at each other. So I'm about unifying. And to have the pre- to have the opportunity to be in front of people on a national scale every week on a national um, a media platform and TV uh, channel, like yes, I was on for Bachelor in Paradise in the show and has all its range of drama and beyond that. But but beyond that, I was like, this is an opportunity for me to be in front of Canadians with my energy, right? There's no other way I was ever, I wouldn't have had an opportunity to do that in any other way up until that point. And so what that did was it's like, oh, he can perform in this scenario. All right. Now people see the energy, they get tagged, they come back to my Instagram, they learn about Jones and Jones. When I'm, when when would they ever hear about it? You know what I mean? So it's No, like, I know what you're saying. There's this, a huge ripple the, effect there. There's tons of ripple and it only happens because I had two parents who were brave enough to come to this country and set up shop, right? They were, they were brave enough to come to this country and say, why not them? Right. And, and create space for people and opportunity to connect. And so, yeah, man, this, this all really does tie together. I want to do a quick comparison between the two major programs you've been on bachelor in Paradise Canada and ET's Black History Special. For The Bachelor, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
you're really building your dialogue and reacting to what happens with the contestants. But as the host of the Black History Special, did you get an opportunity to shape that content? With that content, you know, there were producers and and, and people that um, build the show. But yes, like we're always talking about how it's delivered. And I'm able to kind of come into the studios on the ET set and and um, bring my 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 myself to it authentically. They're very different types of shows, right? Very different format. Um, so both had um, both had their their benefits, and and it was actually interesting to be going to the ET uh, set after having done Bachelor in Paradise, just because while they're both TV and while they're both hosting, they're almost two very different types of hosting, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, just, just, a um, a real blessing to have those opportunities and to be able to exist on multiple media platforms, right? I, I'm not like with one exclusively, I'm able to help and collaborate with whatever, whichever ones have an opportunity that, that I fit for and that they fit for me at the time. That's a beautiful thing too, right? I'm able to maintain my my personal brand and bring that to each of these scenarios. And, and, and that's like a dream come true. That's stuff I've been thinking about since the early days of this journey we've been talking about. And to be able to be doing it now in a, to, in a way that, that feels completely authentic to me is a blessing and a gift. So what does your typical day look like? Because you don't seem like someone who has to submit to the typical nine to five. You're, I love how you put that and you're right, but that took time, right? I've always known that I wanted uh, my days to be my own. I'm very big on energy. Uh, you know, I start my days this morning. I was up super early for my, my session with my trainer at the gym. I invested in a personal trainer for the first time in my life this year during, or well, during the pandemic. And so I, I just thought like, as we're going through this wild time, I want to spend um, and invest in my body and my mind. Cause I want to be able to make it through this. And it was one of the best, uh, you know, investments I've ever made. So usually there's some sort of like activity in the morning um, whether I'm walking in nature or like I've, I've just really gotten um, really into just being amongst nature to start my days and set a tone. Um, but then how the day unfolds is different every time, right? Because whether we're working on uh, client work that I have to get together with my team on for Jones and Jones, or like yesterday, I might be recording voiceover for a new campaign that's going to drop in Cineplex theaters um, this year, right? So like, I mean, it, the days are different or, or if I'm shooting something, then, you know, my team might be working on the Jones and Jones stuff while I'm, you know, off shooting for a couple days or, or what have you, but still overseeing things. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's, the days are very different, but I like that. I would not work well in, um, in, in having my days be predictable. I actually think, you know, the diversity of it is what keeps things interesting for me and keeps things stimulating. Um, everything's always changing. You know, everything's always shifting. 
Jesse, this has been a wonderful chat. Thank you so much for your time. Are you ready for rapid fire questions? I think so. Yeah, I think so, man. I'm ready for rapid fire. All right. Your favorite movie. Yeah, Shawshank Redemption was the first one that um that came came to mind. I just um the the storyline hope, you know. Yeah, that that movie is one that just kind of stands out to me. If Hollywood were to make a movie based on your life story, who would you want to play you? People have always said that Nick Cannon and I look alike. So, you might as well go for someone that that maybe resembles you i guess that would be kind of i don't know how that movie would turn out but hey you know we'll see <laughs> well apparently he's about to have child number nine so yeah you've got a I script mean, drafted he's probably looking for work yeah he's gonna he's gonna need it now with all these kids right if hollywood were to make that movie based on your life story what would you call it keep going for sure um it's kind of been my um my line that I roll with, um, you know, it, it, it just, it's kind of symbolic of what I try to live. Um, uh, you know, we all have our, our ups and downs and we get hit really, really hard with things. Um, life, you know, can, can come at you in so many different ways. I try to, I just try to navigate that and take the breathers I need. And sometimes it'll knock you out and you need to take a, a bit of time, but I always try to put one one foot forward, um, you know, each time, uh, even if they're slower, slower steps. Um, and so keep going would probably be the name of, of that that uh, that movie. Your favorite book. Who Moved My Cheese? Really short um, read. You could probably get through it in a day. Really defining for me i read it at the beginning of the pandemic and it was a game changer for me uh really talks about change and how to and how people look at it and navigate it and it 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 set fire uh in me at the beginning of the pandemic and and i probably attribute my um ability to navigate through it as a business owner and to you know, find the gaps and the, the, the new opportunities uh, from, from, from reading that, that book, Who Moved My Cheese. Your favorite song? <sighs> oh, man. Favorite song? I can't really come up with one, but, but I can tell you that um, during the pandemic and after my mom passed, I started going back to a lot of Bob Marley. And I went back to Bob Marley because it was a lot of the foundational stuff I'd hear growing up as a kid in the home, right, of Jamaican parents. And obviously, Bob being just one of the largest, you know, figures in music globally, but just what his music and message um, talk about. Um, But if you go into, like, Bob's catalog, um there's just so much there that is almost like, it just talks about life and experiences. It talks about, you know, systemic oppression. It talks about love. It talks about coming together. It's a real kind of historical um, take on things. And I think you could listen to a Bob album and kind of just understand civilization and humanity from that. 
and it also helped me deal with the pain um, of, of losing such an important figure in my life. Uh, so yeah, that that's kind of spiritually just kind of what music was was grounding me at the at the time. And I go back to it. It's kind of like this. It's like education. The best advice you have ever received. Follow your gut. Yeah, I think I think definitely following my gut uh, and just understanding like if if it if it doesn't really move you or feel like how it's supposed to feel, then then you shouldn't do it, you know, and then and hang in there. My mother, one of the last like, you know, phrases she said to me were was hang in there. And I think that, you know, I take those words with me every day because like stuff gets rough, but just hang in. If you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, what would you say? Enjoy the moments and, uh, and follow your heart. I really believe that we were put here to enjoy the time we have. Society kind of dictates to us what our enjoyment should be. Uh, but we know, you know, we know what, what moves us. And um, I think we should follow that. If this is the only run we've got, we should, we should enjoy the jog, you know? My signature closing question, if you weren't in media, what would you be doing and why? I'd be, I'd be hosting retreats, you know, out in nature, out in the country. Um, I would just be connecting with people and allowing them to unplug from like, you know, their everyday to just make sure that what they're connected to is really what they feel they should be connected to. You know, are we, and I think you, you can get there by, um, by just kind of unplugging yourself from, from where you are all the time to just kind of stepping back and going, Hmm, is this where I should be? Is this where I want to be? I've always just had this dream of, of hosting retreats like that, where people can come out and connect with those they've never connected before, different types of people and energy, having dinners together and walks and just being able to shed the day-to-day weight that kind of gets put on us in society and feeling ourselves in a light space for a change and, and, and just seeing what comes up from all that. So yeah, that's what I'd be doing. I'm actually looking for a way to do that <laughs> within my day, you know, within the current structure of things too. So who knows, maybe if we chat again, um, I might have some news for you. Jesse, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for chatting today. Yeah, no, I really appreciate this. Thank you. And uh, keep doing this, man. It's a nice format. It allows us to, allows people to engage. I love how you ask the questions. and It's, it's a beautiful thing that you are able to capture stories and, and share them with, with your audience. So thank you for having me. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova.